Good morning. Our reading today is from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were already apostles before me, but I went away at once into Arabia and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I did go up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and stayed with him for 15 days, but I did not see any other apostle except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard it said, the one who was formerly was persecuting us is now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come to God's word, as we continue our sermon series in the book of Galatians, let's pray, let's commit ourselves to God. Father God, we thank you that you speak with us. We thank you for your word of truth and of light and of hope. Lord, you know there's many things distracting us. There's many things in our hearts and minds today. Lord, help us just to lay them down before you and speak your word to us and give us ears to hear. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Would you please have a seat? Now, just to warn you, this is going to be slightly interactive this morning. I hope that's not too scary for you, but you should have a white piece of paper that looks like a map, and you should have a pen or pencil somewhere on your pew. And we're going to be using that in a few minutes' time, so just have those things to hand. So it's a white piece of paper with a sort of map. If you don't have one, stick your hand up. There's a few here at the front. Do we have any spare maps? And you should find a pencil or pen... We'll be using that in a few moments' time. So you need a map and a pencil or a pen. Everyone got one? Good. We'll be using that in a moment. You might find it helpful to turn again in our pew Bibles. You should find them at the end of the pews. To Galatians chapter 1, that's page 184 of our New Testament sections of the Bible. Page 184, Galatians chapter 1. I don't know about you, but I've always enjoyed a good courtroom drama. Anyone seen any of these? Rumpel of the Bailey? Yes, a few. Judge 
John Deed. Anyone seen that? Yes, yes. The Emersons enjoy that one over there. Okay. Anyone want to admit watching L.A. Law? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's fine. A great film called A Few Good Men. That's a great film about sort of courtroom, military drama. Yes, excellent film. Now, you know the sort of thing. You have an impassive, domineering judge. You have a defendant looking very uneasy in the dock. You have the suave, persecuting lawyer and the plucky defense lawyer. There's usually some sort of dramatic showdown with the action ebbing and flowing between the different speeches of the lawyers. And who will be the most persuasive? Which arguments will carry the day? Will justice be done? Well, today as we're continuing to look at this wonderful letter in the New Testament, the letter to the Galatians, we get to the week when we come to the end of chapter 1. And the Apostle Paul, he's defending his authority as an apostle. If you like, he finds himself in the dock of public opinion with his integrity and his character under fire. And throughout this passage, he is defending himself from all these accusations. And I think as you read through this letter, it's very obvious there's some people who are scoffing at his authority. They're scoffing at his teaching and his portrait of the Christian life. Who does he think he is? Who is he to tell us what to believe? Well, he doesn't look very impressive. He certainly doesn't sound very impressive. Why should we listen to this Paul? Oh, just ignore him. He got all his teaching from someone else. It's not original. It's not new. Just ignore him. He might go away. Well, the first thing we need to understand this morning is that Paul's message is from God. Paul is adamant that his gospel is not from human beings. It is a revelation from God. And therefore, we need to take it with the utmost seriousness. Look down at verse 11 if you have your Bibles open. Verse 11 of chapter 1. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, that makes all the difference, doesn't it? I wonder this morning, do we still believe that the letters of Paul are actually God's word to us this morning? In 2024, here in Lechlade, this is God's word to us. See, if we're taking Paul's word seriously today, it's because they are inspired by the Holy Spirit and recorded for us in the Bible as Holy Scripture. From the very first days of the Christian church, Paul's words were recognized as Scripture just as much as the Old Testament. That's why when we have the Bible reading, this is the word of the Lord, thanks be to God. I know churches who have stopped saying that because they don't believe it anymore. And you wonder why the Christian church is not growing when we no longer believe the Bible is the word of God. We can't just cherry pick our way through the Bible, deciding which words are from God and which words are not. Some people have decided to drive a wedge between what Jesus said and what Paul said, but that won't do. And if you ever want to investigate these things, a few years ago we had a wonderful talk from a man called David Wenham. He used to teach me New Testament at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford, and he's written two really helpful books for those who think that Paul and Jesus said different things. Really helpful books. The first one, Paul, follower of Jesus or founder of Christianity. And the other one is, did St. Paul get Jesus right? 
You see, Paul insists he didn't make the gospel up. The risen Jesus revealed it to him in that extraordinary Damascus Road experience, which you can read in Acts chapter 9. He was then called Saul of Tarsus, an extremely zealous religious Jew. He was known as the arch enemy of this Christian sect who thought he was going against the laws of Moses. And there's a picture. Stephen is being stoned to death. A horrific scene. A horrible scene. And there is Saul of Tarsus on the right, looking after the clothes of those who are stoning Stephen to death. He has blood on his hands, and he knows it. And yet God, in his grace, utterly transformed this man, who is the terrible persecutor of the church. Here's a close-up of a painting by Caravaggio. There he is, lying on his back on the ground, blinded by this light from heaven. And from that moment on, his life is transformed. And it's almost as if he's trying to grasp this vision, grasp this sign from heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? His life was turned around. His physical sight was returned to him very soon, but his spiritual sight was also awakened. And he now saw this Jesus who he hated as now Lord and Saviour. And the rest of his life would be spent teaching the good news of Christ around the whole world of the Mediterranean and founding new churches. And this morning, the simple truth is this. All of us need to have our eyes opened to the truth of Jesus as well. We are not naturally born believing and trusting in Jesus. It needs the Holy Spirit to supernaturally work in our lives and to open our eyes to this truth. Because faith is ultimately a gift from God. And in Paul's case, the energy of the extremist and the persecutor is redirected into being an extraordinary apostle of Jesus, who was noted for his love and forgiveness. What a change in this man's life. And Paul is not ashamed to talk about his life. It's the canvas, if you like, on which God's glory is shown. Let's look again at our reading, verse 13. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, So I may proclaim him among the Gentiles. I did not confer with any human being. You see, when Paul was spoken to by God, he suddenly knew what God's will was for the rest of his life. And he's not a man who is hiding his past. There are no skeletons in his cupboard. It's all out there. Everybody knew he used to hate the Christians. He used to persecute them. And now he's their strongest advocate and defender. Indeed, one of the marks of the authenticity of the New Testament is that we're given a warts and all picture of these apostles. Peter denied Jesus three times and was restored by Jesus. Paul, the great teacher and missionary, was previously 
the greatest persecutor. You see, there's no cover-up. There's no attempt to hide the murky past of the apostles. So the first thing we see is that Paul's message is a revelation from God. And the next thing we see is that Paul's message wasn't derived from anyone else. After his life was transformed by the risen Christ, he didn't immediately go to the temple in Jerusalem and meet and hobnob with all the apostles. No, we're told, what did he do? He went into the deserts of Arabia for three years. Three years. And it's a bit of a mystery. What happened to Paul for those three years when he went into Arabia? Well, there's silence. Maybe God was preparing him for his new life of mission and teaching. Maybe it was a time of spiritual renewal, of spiritual cleansing. But whatever happened, Paul was not craving publicity or status. And maybe that's a model for us. Sometimes we do need to withdraw to find a quiet place and to have communion with our Father in heaven. Maybe before we go into a life of activity and busyness and pouring out ourselves, we need to retreat and come close to God in quietness. Of course, we see that pattern in Jesus' own life in the Gospels. He could have been busy doing lots of miracles and teaching, but often he went apart by himself and prayed to his Father in heaven. But all this doesn't mean that Paul was a lone ranger, always going it alone. There's Paul and some of his apostle friends. And see what they're holding? Sometimes they paint a picture of all the apostles coming together and holding a big model of a church. And it represents, it symbolizes to us that all these apostles, different personalities, different characters, they come together and they help to build the church of Christ. He craved fellowship. Titus, Timothy, Barnabas, all close friends on his missionary journeys. And Paul did indeed go to Jerusalem, but only after three years, he only saw two apostles, Peter and James, and only for 15 days. See, he's not a man looking for human approval. He didn't have to run his message past the other apostles before somehow he was signed off or given the go-ahead. No, he knew his message was directly from God, but he had a wonderful sense of unity, of common purpose with the other apostles. So his message is directly from God. It didn't come from anyone else. Then we see how Paul's message is worked out in his life. Paul uses his unique life story to chart the progress of God's grace in his life. He wants to show how God's power can work in a human life. And isn't it extraordinary? God Almighty, who's omnipotent, all-powerful, the maker of heaven and earth, chooses to work through your life and my life. And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. People who have gone before us in the Christian faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can learn from their story and from examples. Human stories are so good at telling others what God has done for us. I wonder if you've ever discovered a really good Christian biography that's really warmed your heart. It's given you courage, gives you help in the Christian life. Here's some words from Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, 
looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And maybe we need to learn the lesson that we don't need to have the greatest arguments, the greatest persuasion, the deepest theology. Maybe sometimes we just need to tell our story of what Jesus has done for us. So what is your story today? What are the significant moments in your spiritual journey? In some church traditions, it's called giving your testimony. You simply stand up and talk about what Jesus has done in your life. It doesn't have to be dramatic. You don't have had to have a miracle escape from a burning building. You don't have to say how God has turned you from a life of drugs and crime. It may not even be that dramatic. But I wonder who's had an influence on your life. In your spiritual journey, was it a church that had an effect upon you? Maybe it was a person, a pastor, parent, grandparent. Maybe you can look back to a conversation or a small group that profoundly affected you. Maybe it was to a certain place. But what were those key points? Let's take that little piece of paper and let's find your pencil or pen. And when you think about that map, why don't you just spend a few minutes thinking, if that is a spiritual map of your life, what are the key events along the way? Was it a church that really changed you? Was it a grandparent? A teacher? Did a book make an impact upon you? Why don't you find a pen or pencil and start to fill in some of those little circles? This isn't for public consumption, this is just for you. As we tell our story, what are some of those key features along the way in our spiritual journey? Just a few moments to jot some things down.